0: Many, many years ago, some of you know this, some, I was a pastor in Davenport for a long, long time, most of my career actually, and um, the church was growing, and on the, there was one particular Sunday when a, um, a lady, who I later found out after uh, worship, um, had moved to our neighborhood who was a Southern Baptist from Texas, and um, Wonderfully, we hoped that we, as I greeted her, we were praying that she would uh, trust, even though that, that was a Methodist church, she was trying out our church because it was in the neighborhood, and we were just praying that this, this would be a good fit for her. And um, uh, as the sermon began that first Sunday that she was with us, um, I had a pleasant surprise. She, um, as I was preaching, she um, engaged with me by saying Amen. And I loved it. I, I My whole career, that wasn't part of that church's tradition or that denomination's tradition, typically. And I'd always prayed that I'd get to be a church where, where people, if they felt moved by the Spirit, by something that uh, God was saying through me, that people would feel prompted to say amen, right? So, that's an encouragement to you, all right? <laughs> <clears throat> amen, thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, so, as it turned out, she felt that the Spirit was Calling her to make that her church home, but this is what I discovered. As time went on, um, I discovered that her amens weren't always necessarily spirit led. It was more of a rhythmic thing for her, and because what I would, you know, I would what whenever there was a lull in my sermon, no matter what I was saying, she'd say amen. (laughs) I could say, "Well, I'm heading off to the bathroom now," and she'd say, "Amen." Made that up. Okay. Um, and it, it, it was become, for me anyway, because I was realizing that it was rhythmic and not in a response necessarily. I found myself changing the cadence of my preaching just to throw her off a little bit, and it kind of came of a competition between the two of us. <laughs> and thus it became a distraction for us too. And, um, so as I was, uh, I share that story with you today for um, a very specific reason, it's possible for something good to become a distraction from something that is even better. The amens that she was lifting up, I was, I was glad for them, right? But when the good thing becomes a distraction from the most important thing, then it's not a good thing. Anymore, right? You see what I'm getting at? I share that story with you as an illustration this morning because as we continue our journey through um, Paul's letters to the Corinthians, what we discover in this letter is that much the same thing was happening in the Corinthian church. There were distractions occurring during the worship experience and Paul identified those distractions and gave them guidance as to what to do in the face of the distractions. Now, if you've read ahead at all, you're probably aware that there's one particular distraction. Did you read ahead? There's one particular distraction that Paul identifies here in chapter 14, 1 Corinthians 14, that has kind of taken on a life of its own within the church over the centuries. And I, the, the God's honest truth, I'm going to spend most of the message this morning on that one particular distraction, and if you haven't read ahead, you'll know what it is in just a moment, um, But this is this is an encouragement and a caution I want to give to you before we even jump in. I want you to not allow the discussion of this particular distraction to distract you from our ultimate purpose, which is to worship Jesus. Did you hear me? Because there may be things that I say today that you don't like, or there may be things that I say today that that will cause your mind to spin off in a lot of different directions. I'm just I'm encouraging you and I'm cautioning you not to let anything that is said. In fact, I'm going I'm to make this as broad a statement as I could possibly. I'm, I'm encouraging not to let anything that, is done, that occurs in your life to distract you from your main thing, which is to worship Jesus. If you accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, nothing should ultimately distract you from Him. Somebody say amen to that. All right. So if you have your Bibles... Open them up to 1 Corinthians chapter 14, we left off last week at verse 25, Uh, so we'll be picking up obviously at 26 today. If you're looking, if you're using one of the church Bibles, that's on page 1141. Um, So if you're ready, let's dive in, all right? Last week, as you may recall, we were talking about spiritual gifts, right? And um, specifically what we were talking about last week with regards to spiritual gifts was the purpose of. Of spiritual gifts. The purpose of every spiritual gift we discovered last week is to build up the church, is to build up people like you and me, people who believe in Jesus to become more like Jesus so that we might be Jesus to the world, right? That's our, pur- that's the purpose, of, that's our purpose and the purpose of every spiritual gift is to equip you or to build you up so that you can do that. Very simple. Well, um, as we move now into the second half of chapter 14, what we discover is that some of those same spiritual gifts that Paul was addressing in the first half of the chapter have, as they've been exercised by the people in the Corinthian church, have become a distraction from that main thing, which is what? To build up the church, right? Um, In verse 26, for example, look real quickly at verse 26. In verse 26, it says that the the gift of tongues had been used or was being exercised in the church as a distraction from the main thing. That shouldn't surprise you because in some ways, that's kind of what he was getting at in the first half. It's the second gift that he identifies as a distraction that comes as a bit of a surprise. In verse 29, he says that the gift of prophecy had become a distraction within worship. And that that one's a little more surprising because in the first half of the chapter, he was talking about how prophecy was actually one of the most effective gifts in building up the church, right? But here he's saying, the way you guys are exercising this gift is becoming a distraction from the main thing. And if you look within the context of that passage, Paul responds to both of these distractions with the same advice. He says, "If you've become a distraction, be silent. If what you are doing is a distraction from the main thing, what? Be silent, right? And so in verse 33, or yeah, in verse 33, he says, "Because our God is a God of, of uh, peace." He's not a God of confusion. And to emphasize that point, as you, as you run, right and run to the very end of chapter 14, he says it in a little different way, but he, he, he's saying the same thing: Do everything decently and in order. In other words, don't don't do things, or don't allow things that distract you from the main thing, which is to build up the church so that you can be Jesus to the world. OK. Um, I would love it if I could just say, "Amen." Let's go home. You get the point, right? But I'm not going to do that. Even as much as i might in my flesh, I would love to stop right there. I'm not going to. Because as I alluded to earlier, the Apostle Paul identifies another distraction that was occurring in their church. Look at verse 34. In verse 34, he says, women should be silent in the church. <laughs> Kathy just said, I know, don't distract me. I'm just kidding. Um, it says women should be silent in the church just as the law commands. Maybe it may say it a little differently in, your, in the translation that's, that we're using here in the church, but basically that's what it says. Um, before we dive into this, before I dive into this, I want to say a couple of things just to to lay a foundation for you to receive what I'm going to say. First thing that I want you to to hear from me is that I wasn't kidding when I suggested that there's a whole cottage industry of ideas that have risen out of this verse and others like it that have become conversations within the church and the church universal over the years. And I can't begin in today's message to, to address every one of the issues that arise out of this verse. I'm just telling you that right now. But one of the things, and I'm not going to spend time on and I'm not going to try to defend, though I would be glad to talk to you about it if you disagree with me, is that I, one of the things that has risen out of this verse or belief system that has risen out of this verse is that women shouldn't be pastors. Uh, personally, I, don't believe, I believe women can be pastors. And I have a biblical foundation for why I have that belief system. Which leads me to the second thing that I want you to, to hear from me. Good and godly people can disagree on this stuff. You hear me? We can. When I'm done here today, uh, um, expressing my interpretation of this passage, if you disagree with me, I still love you, and I hope you'll still love me too. Because we can be a part of the same church and disagree as long as. And listen to me now. As long as your um, your belief system is is built on Scripture. I can respect you if, you if you have a different understanding than I do. I can respect that, and I hope you can respect me too. If it's just built on some cultural wind or whim, I don't respect that. How's that for blunt? But if we have different interpretations of Scripture, I can respect that. We can come down on different places, and we can still love each other. This is one of those issues, okay? I'm just saying. All right, there's our foundation. Now let's jump in again. Women be silent in the church, for this is just as the law um, commands. Um, I don't know what law he's referring to here, personally. I've, I did some research today, and I, or this week, and I couldn't find out, uh, any consensus on the specific law that he was referring to. Is it some Pharisaic law, or one of the traditions or something? I, it could be. I just didn't find it, okay? I'm, I'm confessing my ignorance to you. But this is what I am sure of. In the church of Corinth, there were some women who, as they were in worship, had questions. And they were stopping the worship service to ask their questions. That's what was happening specifically, contextually, in this verse. And Paul's advice to them in this context, was the same advice he gave to the people who were exercising the gift of tongues as a distraction. The same advice that he gave to the the people who were exercising uh, prophecy as a distraction. Uh, When these women were stopping the worship experience to ask their questions, he said, don't do it. Be silent. Same advice. Now, the reason why we can't just let it be that simple, is that Paul uses theology to defend his position. The question is, what is the theology? Where does, that, where does his, this theology come from? And um, best as I understand, it comes from and has become known, this theology or the basis of this theology comes from something that is, that is now known as um, complementarianism, which is a big word. If you had your notes, you'd be writing everything down, I'm sure, right? (laughs) Complementarianism, which is a big word, which basically means that God created men and women different. Does that surprise any of you? It surprises some people. We'll talk about that in a minute. The biblical truth is that God created men and women different with different strengths and weaknesses generally. Which means that because we have been created differently, generally, um, with different strengths and weaknesses, one set isn't better than another set. In fact, the reason why it's called complementarianism is because they're intended to complement one another. They're intended to make us, we are better when we are together. All right? All right? One's, one's role or our sets of strengths and weaknesses. one isn't better or worse than the other they they are what they are that's what we were created for okay, okay. Um, So when we work together, we have particular roles that we can that we can fulfill that will make the whole better and stronger as a family unit and as a church Now another what I believe is, um, unquestionable biblical theology is that, the, that God says that the husband is called to be the head of the house. It, there, that it's, it says it in, in Ephesians, it's very clear. There's, I don't know of any other scriptural evidence that would suggest that that isn't, isn't right. What I will suggest to you, however, is that men have done a bad job Fulfilling that role, oftentimes, sadly, I would go so far as to say, more often than not, men have done a bad job fulfilling that role. And when there is, when leadership, when there's a leadership vacuum, something fills it. Always, it's just that's just the way it works. So when a man fulfill uh, or fails to fulfill a biblical role of lit headship within the house oftentimes the wife or the woman has had to fill the gap because men have failed. That's just simply the truth. That's an observable, objective truth too. Um, but when we as human beings fulfill God's role or God's plans the way they were intended, it works beautifully. Which, by the way, is exactly what was happening in this passage today. Because what, what was the context again? Again? The context was that there were people in church, they happened to be women, who had questions. And what Paul was saying is, when you have questions, don't disrupt the worship service. Wait till you get home and, and talk with the head of the house to work through the questions. That makes all the sense in the world to me. Sadly, as I mentioned before, there's been this whole cottage industry of stuff that has arisen within the church over hundreds of years around this. And it has been a horrible distraction. I'm not suggesting to you that the the questions that have arisen aren't important questions because they are important questions. But you want to know while we have been fiddling with these questions you want to know what's been happening in the world and in our culture let me tell you what's been happening we live in a world today that doesn't know how to define what a man is or what a woman is have you noticed that Well, we're debating whether women should be silent in church or whether they should be pastors or whether they should have leadership roles. we got a world. We're living in a world. We don't know what a man is. We don't know what a woman is. Guess what else we don't know? In some schools right here in Iowa, in their bathrooms, they put litter boxes. You want to know why they put litter boxes in the bathrooms here in Iowa in our schools? Is because some of our kids are confused as to whether or not they are human or whether they are animals. And we're debating whether women should be pastors or whether they should have leadership roles or all the while we're fiddling, Rome is burning. And I find that offensive. And you should too. Somebody say amen? Yeah. Now, All of them. Remember when I said, "Don't forget one thing this morning. Don't let this ask the questions. Go home and discuss this message. Have pastor for dessert, if you know what I mean. You know, when people go to the, after they, have, they they go to, they go have coffee afterwards, and then when they get in the car, they actually have pastor for dinner. You know, because they chew him up for what he says. You go do that. I don't care. Honestly, I don't. In fact, I'd love it if you did that." But I will hate it if you leave today and you allowed this to become a distraction from what you have been called to do and be. And you may have noticed that I refuse to be distracted because every single Sunday you will hear me say, Have you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Every Sunday. Do I not say that every Sunday? I say that every single Sunday. Some of you say, I've heard it. I'm tired of hearing it more. Stop it, Craig. No, I'm not going to stop it because that is our main thing. And I will continue to ask that question of you and everybody else who comes to worship every Sunday until I die because that is our main thing and I will not be distracted from the main thing. And you shouldn't be either. So let me ask you. Have you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? It is not good enough for you to be in church. I'm glad you're in church today. But that's not good enough. It is not good enough for you to say, I memorize Scripture. I'm glad you memorize Scripture. But that's not good enough. Did you know that the devil memorizes Scripture? He sure enough does. It is not good enough for you to say, I go to Sunday school. Or my grandpa was, was a preacher. Not good enough. It's good. Not good enough. You must make the conscious decision personally to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord. Not just believe, even the demons believe and tremble. You must submit to Jesus as Lord. And if you've never done that, you need to do that. And today would be a good day to do it, I think. If you'd like your pastor to pray that prayer with you, you don't need your pastor to pray that prayer, but if you'd like to pray that prayer with your pastor, it'd be my privilege. Right over there is our prayer room. Um, if you've got something else that you need to pray about, again, it would be my privilege to pray with you.